And we come to this passage about this mountain and trembling and trumpets and blazing fire. And there's something about just reading the passage itself that is a bit terrifying. And let's just, you know, add it to the list of things that we can be terrified by. Recently, I'm going to give an example of something that terrified me. There, there was a, a talk that I listened to on uh, the YouTubes. Uh, it's video service on the interwebs. You may be familiar with it. Uh, Tristan Harris, and I, I, I do pronounce some things incorrectly, but uh, I, I believe that's actually the way he pronounces his name. It's not Tristan, it's Tristan Harris. And Aza Raskin worked for the Center for Humane Technology, and they did the the documentary that a lot of people have seen, The Social Dilemma, about social media and some of the problems. Uh, and I think they nail a lot of things uh, with the problems of, of social media, uh, which I think is uh, arguably a net negative. And uh, they, they then are now dealing with AI, and they have a talk called The AI Dilemma. And uh, just in a nutshell, it's terrifying. Uh, you know, there's this, uh, there's a, you might have seen in the news lately, there's a letter that lots of technology leaders have signed about the potential warnings and dangers on the level of pandemic and nuclear war uh, and climate change and all these things about, about AI. And, and they're not necessarily, to be clear, arguing that we're going to end up with, with uh, you know, the Terminator and Skynet and robots uh, that are out to, to get us sentient beings out together. That's not necessarily uh, the argument. There might be some people that are arguing that. But what they are discussing is, is something that should probably give some pause or some concern. Uh, I'll, I'll give one example. They talk about the ability of AI to recreate people's voices and the, the damage that can be done with that. To, so to just you know, somebody sound like your child or sound like your loved one uh, for authentication with your bank or, or otherwise. And, and then I actually just this morning read that, that Apple and their thing that they're releasing with AI very soon is going to be able to reproduce voices with just 15 minutes of voice. And that's going to be available to everybody, which seems like a terrible idea. Um, uh, again, like voice authentication with your bank and all that, you know, it's kind of out, out the window. And that's just like one thing. And uh, again, we don't have to go to the, to the far end of the spectrum of uh, the Skynet and fighting robots. Uh, just to recognize some of the implications of social media, which has its own AI built in, that has led to increase in addiction, polarization, narcissism, sexualization of kids, Validation-seeking online harassment, uh, these things have grown over the years. And so as I think about this and as I watched the video and me talking about it now, it's not to sit in and you know, try to build more anxiety in you. Because I think we actually come to a living God in his presence each and every Sunday that gives us hope in the midst of all of those things that we are already experiencing that we are already surrounded by, that, that might tend to over... I mean, watching that YouTube video and listening to those guys, it was, it was a bit terrifying, and, and yet uh, I was incredibly hopeful because I follow a God who is in control and follow a God who has invited us in, in the midst of all of the brokenness, invited us in to him, in relationship with him, and given us incredible promises. So as we come to this passage that even talks about things that might cause us to be terrified, 
this mountain that is described in the first few verses here. We end with the fact that God is a consuming fire. What, what do these things mean? How do we think about them in light of all of the things that might bring us terror or fear in our own lives? And, uh, and we, could, you know, we could do a long list. It doesn't have to be AI. We could, AI could be fine. We could do a whole other list of things that cause us anxiety or bring us fear. And I think, though, as we come to God's revelation of himself and the history of, of all of creation, and he's invited us into this story, we come with these pictures of both fear but ultimately of hope. And those are the two points this morning, fear and hope. And a little bit of the reasons that we might fear, false or bad reasons, and true or good reasons, and the same with reasons that we might hope. So let me, let me pray and we'll dive in. Lord, we do pray that you and the power of your spirit would come, recognizing that, that we have all kinds of different fears, all kinds of different things that bring us anxiety. Uh, I pray that you would center us around the truth of the way that you created this world, the way that you created us. And that you would fill us with proper fear leading to glorious hope. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Fear. Reasons to, to fear. What, what are some false reasons that we, we might fear? And not just taking the, the circumstances around us. Looking at this, this passage even. What are some of the, the reasons that we might fear? It, it's helpful to know exactly what's going on here in verses 18 to 21. There is this discussion that is a description of Exodus chapter 19 and 20, Mount Sinai. So Mount Sinai is not mentioned here, but it's in direct contrast to Mount Sion. Sinai, Sion, Zion is the way that we see it spelled more often that is described in verse 22 uh, to 24. But Mount Sinai is this moment and we, we find where God shows up in his holiness Having rescued the people of God from slavery in Egypt, he's drawn them out of that slavery. He's freed them. They're not yet to the promised land. And then God is then in the midst of that providing a way for them to enter into relationship with him. This is uh, the law revealed. This is the book of Leviticus that we looked at a number of years ago saying this holy God is saying, I am holy and and." You, my creation, are not, but I want relationship with you, and so here's what that looks like. And there's a sense in which the people of God at this moment, they recognize that reality, that God is holy and that they are not, and that it brings some level of fear or even terror for them. So they have these moments where God has shown up, blazing fire, darkness, gloom, the tempest, the sound of the trumpet, a voice whose words made the hearers beg for no further messages, God's power and his holiness is so great that they are afraid. They don't want more words. Even Moses, who is this mediator, is a reminder, Jesus is the better mediator. That's what we've been looking at all through Hebrews. But Moses is that mediator at this point, and even he is fearful, we see in verse 21. He is fearful of God's holiness. And so that's this reference that is happening in verses 18 to 21. And we do all kinds of things in our minds with this reality, that there are ways in which it puts fear in us. And sometimes it's, we fall into the God is this big, mean guy who is judgmental and wrathful and only that, that he's not personal, that he doesn't want relationship, that he doesn't want 
uh, to, to offer us forgiveness, that God is just this big judge in the sky. And we do that because we've removed his judgment uh, from the, its connection to our own brokenness and sin. What do I mean by that? I mean that, that we, we don't really think of the reality of our sin, the holiness of God and our own uh, brokenness and, our, and the own ways in which we uh, can't stand before a, a holy God. And so we, we think of God as the one who judges in a, uh, in a way that we don't agree with ultimately, right? We, we do this all the time in our, our lives. We, we don't really want the judge for ourselves. We want it for other people, right? Uh, that guy pulled out in front of me, cut me off in traffic, and man, I wish a cop would come along right now and we could have some, uh, you know, call it instant karma oftentimes, right? That's what we long for. But if I pull out in, some, in front of somebody, it was an accident or I was in such a hurry that I should have been able to do it. They just don't understand, right? So we, we want justice, but we think that God is this one who is bringing uh, justice or judgment in a way that we don't really like or agree with. It doesn't fit with our, our view. He's just a big meaning, right? But really, th- that underplays the way that we think about him. So we, we are fearful uh, of him. But maybe we even just think about the, the reality of the, the old covenant when we didn't yet have the better mediator in Jesus Christ. Jesus, verse 24, is reminded he is the mediator of a new covenant, which he has been described as the better mediator. The new covenant has been described as the better covenant. And that didn't yet happen. And so we fall into this idea uh, that it's about living up to the list. It's living up to the law. Here are the things that I do. Here are the things that I don't do. If my good outweighs my bad, then, then I'm, I'm going to be okay. And that is a terrifying prospect if we're honest with ourselves. Because whether or not we're doing this in the church, in a religious context, we don't live up to our standard. Uh, we don't live up to the standard whether it's one that's set from God's word in the Bible or whether it's set from the culture around us or whether it's set from ourselves in conjunction with either one of those things. We, we don't live up to uh, the standard. We, we just, uh, we, we're not able to do it if we're honest with ourselves. You take that example of uh, if I do something, there's an excuse or a reason for it, but if somebody else does it and it hurts me, then they deserve justice. Uh, there should be judgment for them. We do this in our minds all the time. Uh, the, the Bible tells us again and again, even when it comes to the scriptural standard that God has given us for our good as his creation, that we are not able to live up to it. That it is a fool's errand to think that we are going to earn our position before God. We cannot do it. And yet we fall into that trap because it's so much easier to check off a list. It's so much easier in our minds to, to get our, our minds around, okay, I did this and I didn't do this and so I'm good to go. It's harder to live in our own mess and God's love of us despite that. And so we fall into so easily thinking about God as this uh, capricious judge who's just looking to get us. And and the reality is that's true whether it's in the church or outside the church. We all create these lists of things that are okay and things that aren't okay. There have been just pages and pages written 
uh, over the last number of years about how our uh, secular culture has become really described as a puritanical culture. Here are the things that you can do and believe and say, and here are the things that you can't. So it's not just something that happens in the church context. We all have a list. And, and, the, and the reality is, even if we say it's just about, you know, it's just love. It's just that we're loving and nice to other people. No, no, that always comes with a list of how that should actually play out. We all create these lists. And the reality is, is what, again, whatever that list might be, we just don't live up to it. And so if that is the context in which we're living, if that's the the mode that we've set up or just fallen into, then the idea of God is, is terrifying. Um, so the reminder that that is not the way that the gospel works. That is a, a false reason to be afraid, really, because that's not the truth of who God is. That's not the truth of who he was in the Old Testament. You, if you've been here for any period of time, you have hopefully heard again and again, let me say it again, that God is a God of wrath and judgment and grace and love in both the Old and the New Testament. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the same throughout the word of God. There is no distinction there, so that would be a false reason to fear God, to put him in that category that we often hear or might become to believe just because it's kind of told around us or assumed. But there are reasons that we might fear True reasons to fear. So there's some statements here that are a little bit terrifying. The last verse, verse 29. God is a consuming fire. Just that reality is a bit terrifying. He is the judge of all, verse 23. That he is the one who will shake the earth and the heavens, verse 26. That's this idea of judgment, shaking out Uh, What is not good? Uh, I'll read verse 26. At this time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, so not just this picture of Mount Sinai being shaken and being terrifying, but I will also shake the heavens. There is this picture of all things. If we think about what AI could do to the world and the way that could shake things up, the the picture here is something uh, on a much grander scale, not just this earth that we live on, but the heavens, which is where God is. God's presence is the heavens. It's not just this place to go in the end. It is where God dwells, that God will shake the physical and the spiritual world. He, he will shake it all. There, there is something that should build within us some level of fear. Verse 25, reason to fear. Uh, there is once again in Hebrews, the, the fifth actually significant Section of warning. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. We've already seen that Jesus, when he lived and died and rose again, that he ascended to sit at the right hand of the Father. That Jesus now physically sits, reigning and ruling at the right hand of the Father, and he speaks from there, and he gives us this warning. He is not to be refused. Now, there is some level of terror, fear, in the midst of warning, in the midst of judgment, and yet there is really incredible hope there that we're going to get to in a second. And I think the question is, as we've talked about before, is there 
something really true here? Is there reason to fear? Is there warning that is right and true and real? Because if it's real, then we're not just trying to instill fear for the sake of instilling fear. We're actually trying to, out of love, say this is the reality of the way things are. I've used the illustration before that I've learned from other people that uh, if I uh, see that somebody has given Vernon a cookie and I know that it has poison in it, if I say, Vernon, don't eat that cookie, it has poison in it, that's actually an act of love. If it doesn't have poison in it, then I'm just a, a meanie who's trying to keep him from enjoying a good cookie, right? But if there is poison in the cookie, I do well by him to say, don't eat the cookie. That, that's, that's going to kill you. So the right thing to do would be to tell him that. So the question continually becomes, is God God? Is he the creator? Did he reveal himself? Did he say these things? Did he bring these warnings? But then did he also bring these amazing promises that give us hope? Because this passage itself, as well as all of scripture, alongside the fear and the reality of the warning comes these incredible reasons for hope. To say that he is at work in a way that invites us to trust in him, to be drawn into relationship with him, and to find hope there. So first, just a brief moment to say that uh, there might be some false reasons to hope. And really the only one that I'm going to hit here is that we have fallen into that idea that the Old Testament God was this capricious uh, God judging in a way that wasn't really looking out or caring for us. And, you know, that's not really true. And so God isn't a God of wrath or judgment. He's just a God of love. And it doesn't matter what I do with my life. If I say that I believe in God and I, I trust him, then I just, you know, just remember that and, and none of the rest matters. And that is like me saying, I'm married to my wife, but I'm, I'm actually going to go leave her and, uh, and date and live with other women. But I'm married to her because, you know, the ring and we made the, uh, the vow and we're married before the state. So we're, we're married. Now, if I'm in a marriage and it really is true, then I'm, I'm going, it's going to change all the decisions that I make. And I'm not going to date other people. And I'm not going to leave my wife. I'm going to stay with her, right? That's what marriage really is. So relationship, which is what we're invited into with the creator of all things, it changes the way we live. So it's not just this simple, oh, yeah, God loves you. It doesn't matter. None of it matters. That would be a a false understanding and reason to hope. We, we, We like to. It's more comfortable maybe to jettison What's happening there is jettison the idea of sin so that there's, if there's no sin, then, you know, it doesn't really, if that doesn't really matter, then it, uh, relationship with God doesn't matter. Being changed by him doesn't matter. But what we find here is hope that is, there, there are really some significantly true and beautiful reasons to have hope. And the first, actually, uh, might be a little counterintuitive when we first hear it, but it is that judgment that is promised, that he is the judge of all, verse 23, God, the judge of all. And then we see he is actually doing the act of judgment in verse 26 that I, we already looked at, that he's shaking out the heavens and the earth. He's shaking out what's bad. It's this picture of you know, taking a, a rug, and uh, you know, maybe it's just the, the, the rug that is at your door, 
or your, maybe your dogs come in and out and you take it outside and you shake it. And if it's a, a, a decent rug, then the parts that you want hold and they're still there and the dirt and the grime uh, falls off, right? I mean, there's certainly more to cleaning a rug than shaking it, but that's part of the picture, right? It's, uh, it's shaken and the things that should be there stay and uh, the dirt and the grime uh, falls off. If it were so easy, that'd be great. But that is a picture of God bringing his judgment, his justice. We, we long for justice. We, we, we know that this is right. When, when some incredible injustice happens, we think that things should be made right so that we would address the injustice. That is, that is the cry of our hearts because that's how we were created. We don't just say, oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't matter that uh, you uh, hurt this person. It doesn't matter that you stole. It doesn't matter that you killed this person. That, you know, we just, it's, it's, we're all good. It's fine. We, we, we all love. That's, that's, that's not the way our hearts work because it's not the way we were created. We actually cry out for justice. Vince Gilligan created the show Breaking Bad and Breaking Bad is about a chemistry high school professor who breaks bad. He becomes very bad. Uh, and, um, and if you've seen the show, um, there's something about it that creates you, you somehow like him or want him to, you should not. I mean, I, uh, you, we should want justice for him. He is, he becomes incredibly evil and, uh, and, and we should desire justice in that situation. It's, it is a little bit weird how the show messes with our hearts in that. That's not a part of the uh, illustration. So Vince Gilligan, <laughs> Vince Gilligan says uh, this in an interview. Uh, he's talking about this teacher and making him a bad person. And he started talking about his own disquiet with his atheistic views. And he quotes his, his longtime girlfriend of 20 years and says she has this great line that I always quote. So this is him saying is she has this great line that I always quote. She says, I can stand the thought that there's no heaven. But I don't know that I can stand the thought that there's no hell. Because where's Hitler then? You know, where's Pol Pot? There's got to be some kind of payback. And, and there's, he's getting at this. We cry out for justice, for things to be made right. And yet, what we do is we, we do this, oh, well, Hitler and Pol Pot and Stalin. We, we have this category, all those people, those people who are, who are doing human trafficking and those people who did those things. But... But what we're reminded of again and again is scripture is that the line isn't just closer to us is that we're on the wrong side of the line. And, and, and so justice is required, but justice is promised. There's hope. Yeah, we're on the wrong side of the line. There's hope for us because of what Jesus has done. But the promise here is that justice is real and it actually should bring us hope. And that has implications not only for the future, but now. So that if God is a God of justice and working that, then we should think about ways in which we enact justice and we can be a part of seeing it grow here, this side of the return of Jesus. And we, we can say that those things matter here and now. There are, that this idea of justice is wrapped up with these other beautiful promises that we find here. Let's look at verse, uh, I'm gonna read verse 22 and 23. This is the contrast 
to coming to Mount Sinai with the trumpet and the fire and the gloom. And this is, but you have come to Mount Zion. This is in the middle of Jerusalem where the temple is, Mount Zion, the thing that represents the presence of God. And it is incredible contrast to Mount Sinai. You have come to Mount Zion and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. That is, they're, they're at this big party, this festival, this celebration, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, yes, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the one who is better, the better mediator, the mediator of the new covenant, the better covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks of the better word than the blood of Abel. There's this picture of coming to the new city, to the new Jerusalem, to this festival, to this gathering. We, we look at Revelation, there's this hint of Revelation where there's uh, the wedding feast of the Lamb, this party of celebration where all things are, are made right. And it is for those who are redeemed. That is who the firstborn is in verse 23. Those who are redeemed by Jesus. Those who are actually made perfect, verse 23. Made perfect, not earned perfection. He is the only one who can make us perfect, and that's what he does. That's the promise of his work here. Because of what he has done, he makes us perfect. And so that our names are written in the book of life, verse 23. It's a reference here. I mean, this, this is a theme that carries throughout Scripture back to Daniel 7. It's reiterated in Philippians 4. It, it's looking forward to Revelation 20. Our names written in the book of life. That is, we're on the invitation list to this incredible party, this festal gathering. I, I think I want to start to use this language for parties, right? We're going to have a festal gathering. Um, I mean, there is a sense in which parties, which, which the assembly of us together on Sundays is a foreshadowing of what is to come, celebrating God's goodness and grace in our lives. Our prayer and hope is that that is what is happening every Sunday morning, looking to that. And in this place, there is this hope of grace and mercy for us who are on the wrong side of the line. Because what do we have here in, in verse 24? What's going on is he talks about uh, to Jesus, and is in this place, the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel, the first murder, Genesis 4, the blood of Abel cries out for vengeance. But Jesus' blood cries out for mercy. Jesus' blood is in contrast. It cries out for mercy, for mercy for you and for me, that we might come to this holy city, to this beautiful perfection. And the, and the promise is, verse 22, this is this beautiful picture of God's work, God's work of salvation that includes a past, a present, and, and a future hope. So that it says in verse 22, you have come. You have come to this place. It's so certain and sure for those who are redeemed, those who are the firstborn, those who trust in Jesus, who rely upon him, and not on yourselves and your own work, that, that we can say you have come to the city, to this festal gathering. And, and I, I think about this new city, Revelation 21, new heavens and uh, new earth coming here, new Jerusalem coming to this place and making all things right. I had the privilege of uh, last Sunday going to New York City and we used to live there, and I just lo I love this. It's just amazing. Uh, it is 
this city that has so much going on, right? Uh, and it's, it's fascinating to see all things. I, I'll often just walk the city. So there was a moment where uh, we were down the southern part of Manhattan, and, uh, and Steph and Hogan caught the train up, and I just walked back like an hour and a half. And uh, it's awesome. I love looking around. And, and there's so much beauty, and there's so much just th- things that are fascinating. And at the same time, there's a lot of mess. And, uh, and I think some people have figured out like, on, on average that if you're anywhere in Manhattan, you're not more than like five feet from a rat. Um, this is like one of the things, and there's, there's brokenness with um, housing insecurity for a lot of people, poverty, uh, things falling apart, right? It, it's, it, it's hard. It, I can't even imagine uh, New York made perfect, you know, the new and perfect city. But let's, let's bring it home a little bit closer. Uh, Indianapolis uh, made, even just think about it being made better. We, we can't, our minds can't even get around uh, the city perfected. But one of the things that's being discussed right now, and I don't know if it's a, even in the realm of actual possibility, but a lot of people would like to see, is they get, they're going to fix the south split, fix it, they're going to, they're going to, renovate and make it better. And one of the things that they're talking about is where it already dips down, the interstate dips down at the South Split to just north of Washington, uh, covering that. Uh, and where you would drive underground, essentially kind of through a tunnel. But then they would put green spaces and buildings. It would connect the neighborhoods that had been ripped apart. We can actually kind of imagine that. And it would, be, it would change dramatically the city, but even our specific neighborhood particularly the Kobe's, who's like their house is uh, right there, right? But a lot of us who live in Fletcher Place and Fountain Square or Bates Hendricks that have been split by the interstate, and we've heard about the destruction that happened uh, when that occurred, uh, how it ripped communities apart. I mean, just to think about that, like one step toward something much better, right? That would be great. But what we're talking about here is actually so great that we can't even get our minds around it that we're invited into that perfected city where all things are made right. Revelation 21, no more crying, no more death, no more pain for the former things have passed away. We can't even get our minds around that, but there is hope there. And so then we're invited to this kingdom that cannot be shaken. All the things that cause us fear, whether it's AI or nuclear war or financial issues or whatever it might be, God's kingdom cannot be shaken. That's what we're invited into. That's the hope that we're given. And so that we would respond out of gratefulness and worship. Look at verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That's the promise, this kingdom that cannot be shaken. It brings within us gratitude that Josh was talking about every morning, beginning his day with gratitude for what God has done in and for us, the hope that he brings and that that would lead to worship, reverence and all. And, and, and corporate worship on Sunday mornings is a big part of that, but there's life is this process of living with that reverence and all. And that's what we're invited into, to find hope there in the midst of all the things that cause anxiety and all the real things that are broken and all of the, the reality of justice and judgment, we're invited into a God who pours out that justice on Jesus so that we can experience the hope. The hope of the new perfected city, the festal gathering, the celebration of what he offers. Let's pray.